So the material that we're looking at tonight is likely going to represent uh, the high point of, of offensiveness this semester in the book of Leviticus. It, it may not, but I think it probably will. What offends us? The things that, that offend us the most are the things about which we are most sensitive. And so that's going to differ for all of us in some different ways. But collectively, I think there are few sensitivities that affect us more here in, at Life and at TU. Uh, things, there are a few things that rate as high as that desire to be in and the fear of being out. That desire to be in, the fear of being out. Being acceptable or unacceptable, we feel it all the time. From group chats to weekends to fraternities and sororities to uh, spring break plans to housing, uh, we want to belong. But that, that desire to belong, that's not new. It's not new. In the 1800s, an American entrepreneur and businessman named Phineas Taylor Barnum He gathered a group of societal misfits and perennial outsiders and organized a show that showcased them. They traveled around, really in some ways, highlighting their peculiarities, the things that made them weird, the things that made them other. He made a whole show of this. Some of you all have seen this show. It's at the theaters now, The Greatest Showman. And in in that show about the Barnum Circus, there's a song that is sung by Letty Lutz, who is the bearded woman. And it says this, I'm not a stranger to the dark, hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars, run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. And there it is, right there at the end, no one will love you as you are. You'll be alone, you'll be outside, you're in the dark, you're invisible to other people. And friends, if that's not your number one greatest fear, then you're probably lying to yourself. It's not just that that you're outside, it's that you're an outsider. It's not just that, that you're not loved, it's that you think you're unlovable. And this passage is disturbing for us because we are used to that sort of treatment from people around us, from guys and girls, from fraternity sororities, from all sorts of other places. But we are not used to hearing that sort of language from God. And this passage tonight gives it to us. And so we have to start considering why would God do this? What's he after? Why would he declare that some people are unclean and why would he send them out? What do we do with that? And it's with those questions that we read this passage. Leviticus 12, I'm going to read selections from several different chapters. If we read this all, it would take about 40 minutes. So we're not going to do that. Leviticus 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are complete. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her her purifying for 66 days. 
And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. Down to verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought in to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut, shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease, the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall, shall, shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. And the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. The disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Down to chapter 15. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an omission of semen, becoming unclean thereby. Also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity. That is for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. This also is God's word. Let's give our attention to it. We ask this question basically every week after we read it. What in the world? Glad you asked. Let's uh, look at this in three ways. First, what the clean laws were, what they were. We introduced this idea of clean and unclean last week. But in case you weren't here, I'm just going to kind of hit reset a little bit and and give us an overview. When we hear that word, uh, we have to see that, that if you were to read the book of Leviticus and when it talks about who's clean and unclean, At some point, everybody would be unclean. There were some people who were only unclean for a little bit of time because of a certain interaction they had. There were other people who were perpetually unclean because of some sort of disease they had or something about them. But at some point or another, everyone in Israel would have been declared unclean. But here's the important part. And this this needs to be stressed over and over again. That to be unclean was not a moral statement. We think if we call someone dirty, that usually means that they're like something's wrong with them and that they're 
they're skanky or they're, um, right, they, they get around or they're whatever that thing is to you and we say they're dirty, that's what that means. That is not what it means in the Old Testament. Clean and unclean has to do with, with your ability, your fitness to do the things of worship. It's a ritual statement. If you were unclean, you couldn't approach God's temple. You couldn't approach the tabernacle and be near to God and be near to his things. You couldn't even be near to his people. So it's a statement about about the ritual cleanliness or uncleanliness that you may have. And so when people were declared unclean, it meant not that they had acted wickedly or unrighteously, but more so that something about them was abnormal. It was out of place. It was imperfect. We could even say that something about the normal standards of hygiene had in some way been breached. So it's more like that kind of cleanness than like sinful, dirty cleanness that we think about. So let me just kind of run through these. And these are going to be, this is representative of what these chapters are saying. But chapter 12, um, which was likely offensive to some of you, it talks about women after childbirth being unclean. And this is especially... Uh, offensive, A, because of just the nature of, of gender, right? This is a very normal thing for women to have children. And what's odd about it is in the rest of the Bible, when a woman has a child, it is high, children are highly celebrated. It is a joyous occasion. And yet here in Leviticus 12, it's like a record scratch. What? She has a baby and then she's unclean? And then furthermore, If she has a son, she's unclean seven days and then has to go and be outside for 33 days. But if she if she has a female child, double that 14 days and then 66 days. What in the world is happening here? So you have to understand that when a woman has a baby, she bleeds. She bleeds. It's a bloody affair. That's not me being gross. That's me describing what happens. It happened back then. It happens today. That's what's going on. When you bleed, it makes you unclean because you have lost life. You have lost some life. The book of Leviticus is is very clear about this over and over and over and over again, that wherever there is loss of blood, there is loss of life. It says that the life is in the blood. So if blood leaves, life leaves. And it hints at death, and God in this passage, and in the one we looked at last week, and in lots of other in Leviticus, if it hints of death, God says, I am against that. I am against that. I am a God of life. And I am... I'm going to be the God of living things. And so this actually explains why it is that that the woman is doubly unclean after she has a girl. Because that girl, that female child would, in all likelihood, not with certainty, but in all likelihood, she would one day herself give blood through birth. And so when the period is doubled, it is, this, it is as if God is saying, this is the 33 days for your cleansing, which is normal and akin to what happens with a man or with a, with a male child. And then you're going to go an extra 33 days to purify for your daughter because she will lose life one day too through the blood. Chapter 13 talks about skin diseases. 
the priest, if you glance down at that, the priest wasn't acting so much like a doctor as he was a health inspector. Uh, he would determine if the leprosy was of a certain quality. And, and look, if you think that was kind of intricate and graphic, just go home tonight and do some pillow reading on the rest of Leviticus 13. It's kind of nauseating, honestly. And so the priest would be sitting there trying to figure out, okay, is this leprosy still progressing and getting worse, or is it healing? And you know, and there are all different kinds of ways to look at that. Um, side note: most commentators say that this is not just this is not probably just Hansen's disease, which is what we think of as leprosy. This kind of included a more broad set of of boils and sort of skin diseases that would have been present back then. So, if you were determined to have one of these diseases, you were sequestered so that the disease wouldn't spread. And I know what you're thinking. That when that priest says, you have to go outside the camp, whether you're male or female or whoever, it wasn't enough that, it, that they just went outside the camp. They had to do what? They had to declare and walk around saying, unclean, unclean, don't get near me. And some of you are thinking that... That feels almost psychologically abusive to have to do that. Hold that thought. Chapter 14, which I didn't read, didn't put in there, it talks about the giant celebration that you went through after your unclean status had been removed and you became clean again. Hold that thought again. Talk about it in a second. Chapter 15 outlines the various bodily emissions that, that would make you unclean. So not only was a woman unclean during her period, but a man was unclean every time he ejaculated in sex. Here's the principle, y'all. Really, any time your body pours forth liquid emission of some sort, it is saying that life is going out from you. And God says, I'm not about that. I'm about life being inside of you. Okay? Now... He's not condemning it and saying it's sin. Remember that? He's in principle saying, I am a God of life. And you can only approach me if, if you are in your fullness of life. If there's something going out of you, if life is going out of you, then you can't be near to me. One of the most important subtexts throughout all of Leviticus, especially these chapters, is that Everyone went through these experiences at different points in their life. I mentioned it earlier, and I'll just say it again. So you've got to be thinking, why in the world would God ask this of his people? I'm really glad you asked. What the clean laws meant. Second point. So um, the reality is if, if you're not a Christian tonight and you're here looking at this stuff and you've ever wondered about the book of Leviticus, and maybe if you are a Christian... You probably have heard it explained something like this. Well, that was the Old Testament God, but now we're, now we're in New Testament Jesus world. Well, that's, that answer is way too simplistic, almost as if to just almost not be true at all. Okay, Because historic Orthodox Christianity, like just vanilla Christianity over the millennia since Jesus, has affirmed... That the God of the New Testament is the same God as the Old Testament. These are not different gods. And so just to dismiss it and say, like, oh, that's the Old Testament God. Whew, so glad we're not there anymore. We're dealing with something totally different now. That's not entirely true. So um, here's, here's how I would su suggest this makes sense. These clean laws represent a parable about how sin has messed up the world. 
They represent a sort of parable about how sin has messed up the world. Now, don't hear me say that they weren't important back then and they weren't teaching real fundamental lessons. That's not what a parable is. A parable teaches deep truths through, through pictures sometimes and through imagery. What are these images? First thing we see is that the clean laws, they told us something about God. There is nothing more fundamental to the message of Leviticus than the statement from God that, that says, I am holy. And whatever your conception of me is and what I'm about, if it doesn't start with you trembling at who I am, then you're not dealing with me. God is absolutely saying, I am a holy God. And you can't just come to me however you want. It says something deep about God. And, and look, y'all, as mundane and tedious as these laws are, they are all screaming that God will have nothing to do with death and decay and disease. He is a God who does not allow for abnormalities in this life because He is a God of wholeness. And what this is saying is that God hates, hates sin and its effects because sin breaks us down. It moves us from wholeness to brokenness, from order to disorder. God hated it back then, and he still hates it today. He hates sin and what it's doing in your life and my life and in the world. He hates it. The second thing that these laws teach us is it, it teaches us something about us. It says that, that sin does to the soul what disease and dirt and decay Due to our bodies. That sin defiles the soul in the way that disease, dirt, and decay defile our bodies. How does that work? Three ways under this. Sin isolates and alienates you. So when, um, this makes sense. When we see sick and dirty people, we stay away. Sometimes it's the cough and, and the, the yuck sound of that. And you're like, oh my gosh, you get over there, I'll be over here. Sometimes it's the smell that keeps you away, right? After you go to the gym, after you play spike ball, you take a shower, right? And if you don't, like, guys, that's why she didn't go out with you. It really does stink. Ain't nobody want anything to do with you. Um, sin alienates us. It, it makes us isolated from others. That's the picture that we see here. Secondly, sin eats away at your insides. Think back to childhood or maybe last weekend. Um, that old pair of jeans you had that got dirty, and then you went and washed it, and as it gets dirtier and dirtier right there on the knees or wherever kind of the high traffic spots are, over time, those areas wear out faster than the other areas. Why does it do that? Because dirt breaks down the fabric that makes jeans jeans. It breaks down the, the cotton fibers. And God is here in these, in these verses saying that sin breaks down the fibers of your body. Sin wears out your soul. It breaks you down, as it were, from the inside out. The third thing is that sin discolors and disfigures the image of God in you. Cancer destroys your body. A passage we didn't read in here talks about how mildew destroys your house. The leprosy would get into the fabric of their house. Wherever sin goes unchecked, you have something 
whether it's a human soul or whether it's a society or whether it's a family, wherever sin goes unchecked, over time, there will be disfigurement and warped, warping. Things will start to become undone. The last main point under this one, that God is saying that the world around us is abnormal. So I didn't read it from chapter 15, but, but in 15 it says that even houses can be declared unclean. They would get un- unclean when they would have the leprosy in, like I said, the, the walls, the little fabrics and the stuff of the walls. God is saying this to us in that. He's saying that man's rebellion against him and what happened at the fall consists in so much more than just some sort of little individual acts of right and wrong. So think about back in the garden when Adam and Eve looked at God and and God said, don't eat of this one tree. And they said, I think we will. It wasn't just like shame on you, like hand slap, you ate the apple. It was a cosmic rebellion against God and his order in the world. It was Adam and Eve saying, thanks for that suggestion. We're going to go ahead and do what we want to do. Do you feel that tension? That is sin in the highest order. And so when we, when we see this, we see that sin, and we see it in the, in the fabric of the houses, it's saying that sin has become so pervasive that it's not just that you as an individual have things wrong about you. It's that the greater world, the people around you, the society itself is breaking down. That sin affects everything. So every time you see wars and, and strife and anger and poverty and greed and co- corporate cultures of cheating and abuse and racism and classism and all of this stuff, any sort of injustice that you see, those things are all placards showing that sin is at work and it's breaking things and people and societies down. And chapter 15 is showing us That sin isn't just small and it's not just personal. It's communal. And it's it's responsible for everything that's messed up in the world. And God's saying, I see that and I care about that and I have to do something about that. The clean laws then, they told the predicament of the human life, whether you're religious or not. And here it is. How can I be okay? I know I'm not okay. You may describe it in a different way. Some of you may call it sinful. Some of you may call it messed up. Some of you may call it not okay. You may have your own words for it, but we feel it. That I'm not the thing I want to be. I'm not the person I want to be. I'm not the friend I want to be. How do you, how do you go about making that right? How do you go about making that okay in a world itself that isn't Okay. So if you think, oh, I've got to go out there and find the answers, the world doesn't have the answers either because it's messed up. So how do we get from okay, not okay, to okay? How do we get from unright to right? That's the last thing we see tonight is we see a God who can make us clean. As we think about these laws and, and all that they're saying and all their bizarreness, I want you to think... I want you to hear echoes of how this stuff works out in your daily life every day. Hear it to you, that, that desire to, 
to be clean or unclean, doesn't, it doesn't just belong to an ancient people, it's for us. Think about the leprosy discussion. Why would God force the people to go outside the camp? Why would he send them out? I suggest it's because he wanted his society to be honest about its condition. We are no less fearful and isolated than, than they were back then. We have stuff about us that is repelling to other people. The biggest difference is that it was on public display for them, and we do everything in our power to repress it. All those things about you that you know, like, make others allergic to you, you are trying with all of your energy and mind every single day to, like, stuff it down in that closet of your heart and life. And when it comes out, you're embarrassed. Oh, no, I don't want to see that. I hope she didn't see that. I hope he didn't see that. Think about the last time you were broken up with or when a relationship didn't work out. We fear that it's not just that she doesn't love me anymore or that he doesn't love me anymore. As I mentioned earlier, the real fear is that I'm going to be found out to be unlovable. It's what happens when you're not included on the group text or on the housing assignments or on the spring break plans or you don't get into that fraternity or sorority that you wanted to. It's not just that, that you've been tried out as a friend and found that they didn't like you. It's that somehow something about you is fundamentally unlikable. The deeper fear is that I'm not okay, that I'm unclean, that I'm going to be outside. Friends, we have to know that God does not deal with us like our mommies did. We love our mommies, I hope. Uh, I've got a mommy, actually my kid's mommy right back there. When we're hurt, we told our mommy why we were hurt, and she would say something like this. Not just picking on mommies. Daddies are probably worse at this, especially when you have four girls. Oh, no, honey, that's not true. You're so dear to me. You're so wonderful. People will figure out that you're great in due time. Right? You, you'll be just fine. God is not like that. When we go to God and we're hurt, he says this. I know. And you don't know the half of it. That sin is affecting you way more deeply than you ever cared to admit. That, that your brokenness and the way that sin is destroying you and, and what that's doing in you it's just far worse than you know. Your problems are worse than you can imagine. Now that sounds cruel and heartless if it's not true. Think about it like this. If you go to the doctor because your head is hurting, and the doctor does a thorough examination, maybe takes some scans, and he comes out or she comes out and says, you've got a headache. I'm really sorry about that. Here's some ibuprofen. Get on your way. When in reality, the scans show that you have a brain tumor that is going to kill you in a matter of weeks. Is it cruel of the doctor to tell you the truth? No. It's compassion personified when someone tells you the true condition about you, especially if the thing is hurting you and destroying you. In these, in these laws, these clean laws, God is saying, I see all the way in and it is messed up. And I'm going to use this language of clean and unclean to show that there is disorder in this world. And you need to pay attention to that. 
Let's fast forward to the New Testament. There are two stories in the New Testament that that we understand so much better if we can understand what I just said. In in Mark chapter 5, we hear of a woman and read of a woman there, verse 25, who had a 12-year period. She had a bloodletting for 12 years. So let's set aside the crippling and depressing health issues for a moment and just consider what it must have done to this woman for 12 years to be on the outside, to be declared unclean, and so you couldn't be in contact with anyone else in the community. So she couldn't worship with her community. She couldn't be around her friends. She couldn't be hugged. She couldn't be anything. It would be oppressive. It would be awful. Imagine how terrible that would be. But in Mark, Mark 5:25, she comes up and touches Jesus' garment, and instantly she's healed. The physical healing was a parable, right? The bloodletting was stopped immediately. But what do you think was going on deeper in her soul? Oh my gosh, I can go be with my friends again. I can go back into community. I am, I'm restored to order and wholeness. So the physical thing was, was letting us in on this bigger picture of what was at work in her. In the same way, in Matthew chapter 8, a leper comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Hear what he's saying. He wants back in. Tell me I'm clean so I can go be back in the community and not be on the outside anymore. And the powerful point in that passage is the next verse. Jesus stretches out his hands and Jesus touches him as a leper and says, I will be clean. That act of anyone touching this leprous person would have made them unclean. And herein lies the point. Jesus came to take your uncleanness on himself so that you can be clean. Not only did he come to take your sin on himself at the cross, which he absolutely did, he also came to take anything about you which has driven you away from others that may not even be sin. But it's alienated you from others. It's made you unclean. It's made you smelly. It's made you dirty. Whatever it is, he's saying, I'm going to take that from you as well so that you can be restored to community and be restored to right life. The priests in the passage, they were just inspectors. They couldn't heal, but there is a better priest that shows up and who heals by his touch. One last thought, chapter 14, verse 14. I've got it up on the board, actually back. Apparently it's been up on the board. It's giving the laws for how to cleanse lepers. It says this, The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. We've read something about that before. A few weeks ago when we were talking about the priests and them being set apart for ordination, for the service of God. They were touched also by the blood. And here it's saying this, that for those who were formerly unclean, you're being cleansed in the exact same way the priests were. What does that mean? It means that you're being set apart for service to God too. You're called to serve God in whatever way you can. He's marked out as clean, set apart. In this passage, we see the high priests are treated like lepers. Jesus is treated like a leper. And the lepers are treated like high priests. They're brought in and they're sent out into service. Their mission is to go and touch others with the gospel, touch others with the message that Jesus can cleanse you and to bring them in. So Letty Lutz, 
keeps singing in that song. She says this, but I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us. We're glorious. The beauty of that movie, of of The Greatest Showman, the beauty of the story of P.T. Barnum is that he takes these outsiders and he brings them in and they become a family. And the reason we love that sort of stuff is that the beauty of that story just shines a light on the greater beauty of the gospel. That God brings in failures and freaks like you and me. And he brings us in and he actually does make us a family. And he makes us into this awkward, weird family called the church. And he says, no matter what you're bringing to the table, no matter what you think casts you out, you come in here and you belong. And I give you a new name and I give you a place of acceptance. And I'm going to send you out into that world to bring other people into. It is the true community. It's the true humanity. And it's the only place where it's found. So my only question for you tonight is, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? That's what Jesus came to do for us, to make us clean and to bring us in. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would convince us that that message is true down deep in our hearts. That you're a God who loves to heal. You're a God who loves to cleanse. And you're a God who forgives. Apply that now to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.